It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day. I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh my mama. Oh my mama made it, ma. Anything's possible. Rainy days. Jump shot fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. Especially when the season get hectic. I stay waiting on it like receiving a Nets pick. Nothing like the terrible analysts on the TV. So in depth you might even hear a story on Gigi. So in depth they might do an hour about the D-League. So in depth you probably should pay him but it's a freebie. Yeah, John Corrales and J. King. Locked on trying to get the 18th ring. So you can miss me with the blah blah. No more Geno time. We watching Jay do the Zaza. Melodies. Back to the Locked On Celtics podcast with the Rain and Jays. Today it's you, me, your boy Jay King from MassLive.com. I am joined by Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer, one of the top draft experts, the top draft expert, a guy I've been following for years about draft stuff, used to be a Celtics writer, now he does great NBA content for The Ringer. we got a long list of topics, some interesting topics I think. We're going to talk about Jalen Brown's progression and eh, a, a tweet Kevin made about, about Jalen Brown and Jay Crowder, <laughs> which I disagreed with part of it, but we'll talk about that. We've got some talk about the draft experts, uh, the draft prospects, rather. Obviously, it's, it's a good time to have a top four pick for the Celtics. And David Griffin, the Cleveland Cavaliers GM, came out to, on the Zach Lowe's podcast, and said for a moment at the trade deadline, he thought the Celtics were going to get both Paul George and Jimmy Butler. We will break that down. But first, let's start with Jalen Brown because the rookie has really played well lately. He is He's fun to watch, and he's fun to watch partly because he's so sporadic. Like, he will dunk on your head. He will run you over for a charge he will take shots when he when the Celtics should be holding for a last shot like there it's up and down with Jalen but lately of course the positives have been a lot better since Avery Bradley went down he has really emerged really started to play a lot more consistent basketball Kevin you you tweeted something about if if Jalen Brown isn't better than Jay Crowder already then he will be soon, and whether that two years, two and a half years, whatever, whatever it is you, you put on Twitter, whatever it is you think, what makes you think that Brown will catch up to Crowder so quickly? <laughs> that, that tweet was met with like a, a very negative reaction, I think. Uh, you know but what? But, when, <laughs> when, I, when I tweeted that I disagreed with it, people came at me like, like Jalen Brown is already better. 
I, th- I think you find people on like one extreme or the other because really like the the tweet wasn't a knock against Jay Crowder. It was more just a compliment for Jalen Brown and his progression. And and I guess to explain myself, you know, I said by next year. By that I mean like sometime during the 2018 calendar year. So maybe that's December, maybe it's January. But I think I just think Jalen, he the way he's developed already this season, right? I think he has some edges over Crowder already. For one, I think he's a more dynamic ball handler, which gives him the ability to create a little bit more off the dribble, which gives him the ability to draw more fouls, get to the free throw line, and granted he's not a good free throw shooter, I think his ability to get there, it it does give him an edge, because we're talking about him in a basketball vacuum, not necessarily within his situation, right? So better ball handling skills. I think he's a better passer. I don't really, I know Jay puts up better assist turnover ratio, but I think that's largely due to the fact that Brown gets called for so many damn chargers. <laughs> I think Brown is quicker laterally on defense. He's better in transition. He's a better athlete than Jay. So look, Jay is a better shooter right now. Jay is a better overall de- defender because he's more experienced. I mean, he's probably a slightly better rebounder right now, That, but that's pretty close to a wash, I think. So I think Jay is a better player right now, right? Obviously. But I think in a year and a half, maybe, Brown will be better in a vacuum. Maybe Crowder, Crowder would still have a better role if he's still on the Celtics. But but at the same time, th- there's, a, there's a distinct possibility that Brown exceeds Jay at that point just because he's so much more dynamic on offense. And what do the Celtics need? They need another guy who can create offense off the dribble. And Jay isn't that guy. Brown could be soon. Yeah, so what I really took, what I really disagreed with about your tweet was the F he's not already. (laughs) (laughs) Because, because, like, like it's clear, I think, I I think pretty much everyone would agree that Jalen Brown has higher potential than Jay Crowder. I I don't know if he'll he'll get there. Obviously, like, when you're a rookie, nobody really knows what you'll become. Right now, he he does a lot of promising things, but there's still still a lot of rough edges to his game. To, to me, right now, there's a huge gap between Jay Crowder and Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown does a lot of fun stuff. He does some things that very few people can do. But from a consistency basis, from a like obviously, <laughs> somebody tweeted at me, "You you picked the wrong time to side with Crowder after he got beat by Eric Bledsoe." <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah, it wasn't his finest defensive moment, but for the most part, he's a plus defender who can guard a lot of positions, and and is a smart defender, which Jalen Brown has not yet become. Has Jalen Brown's rookie season changed anything for you about either his floor or his potential based on where you evaluated him in the draft process last year? Um, you know, I don't, I don't think a lot has changed. Honestly, I, I like Jalen a lot heading into the draft like I, I was up and down on him at Cal right like I was like in a way riding the roller coaster which I don't think is a great thing to do um <laughs> so because like he had stretches where he just looked horrible where he looked like he had the worst feel for the game but the thing like you know when you go back and watch those games or even just you know individual plays was that he was in a situation where there was no spacing at Cal. Like, he was playing with two bigs on the floor at all time. It was hard for him to breathe on the floor. And But anytime he did have spacing, he really shined. So those were the moments I looked at and said, okay, in the NBA, he's going to be – he's going to play with more spacing. And look, I, I think, if anything, maybe he's a little bit more ahead at this point than I expected him to be. Um, because, like, look, Brad, Brad Stevens is putting him out there in end-of-game situations. He's playing fourth-quarter minutes. That's partially – 
I think Brad just throwing him out there and seeing what happens, like giving him uh, late game experience. I think it's partially that, but I think it also shows some trust from Brad Stevens. So in that sense, Jalen's a little bit ahead of where I thought, but overall I still view him as a very high upside prospect and, and everything he's shown that year has only solidified that. Yes. Someone, someone tweeted me or someone, one of my buddies texted me this. He, He might be listening now. His name's Nick Graham. He texted me this and I thought it was smart. He said, what Jalen has changed from his perspective is the floor. Like he he's knocking down mm. shots at a pretty high rate. And if you talk to the people in the Celtics organization, they'll tell you that it's not just that he's shooting a better percentage in the games because that's obviously a small sample size, might not be indicative of of what's what's real. But his numbers in practice, his numbers through across the board, and and they keep track of those things have have really risen and and he is actually developing as a shooter in in the ways they had hoped so so that's all promising and, and uh, since he is becoming a probably already right now a better shooter than a lot of people thought he'd be as a rookie he's shooting like something like 55% from the corners above the break still hasn't been good but there's a lot of time to develop that um and then defensively you know th- they're throwing him out there at the end of fourth quarters they are he's the one who subs in for Isaiah Thomas a lot when they take Isaiah Thomas out for offense defense purposes and like he's come a long way Avery Bradley was he said something funny the other night he said you know Jalen has really really progressed defensively and he said I asked him what the what the area where he really progresses he said well staying with his man <laughs> it's, like, it's like yeah that, that's a it's a pretty rookie thing when when you're not staying with your man and, and it, it it says a lot about him that they are trusting him because Brad Stevens doesn't play favorites like he he's not going to just give a rookie minutes because he's a rookie and he really has progressed defensively let's let's get to some of the the draft prospects now i went to see Lonzo Ball the other night and he's just fun man At, is he the best passer you've evaluated in the last however many many years you've been doing the uh, draft guides? Man, like he's gotta be right. I I, I think it, his basketball IQ is just off the charts. Off the charts. His passing vision off the charts. His feel for the game off the charts. Like he is like an outlier in those specific categories. He's like he has his flaws, right? You know, he's there's questions about his jump shot, but there's no denying that he's gonna become a guy who is a serious threat as a passer in the pick and roll or somebody who can is just dominant passing and transition. I think depending on the type of point guard a team wants in their offense, if they want more facilitator, like if they have primary scorers at the forward positions, maybe Lonzo ball is perfect for that type of situation because of how good he is as a passer. And because I think there's no question he'll have, he'll have no issues shooting off the catch either. Yeah, he, he's, he's so fun to watch, man. And, and it's he's awesome. What's what, what, what it, What's funnest for me watching him is he doesn't just hunt assists. Like he puts up huge assist numbers, but he he would just assume throw the ball up to an open guy in on the fast break and and let the other guy make a play. Like it's it's not like he is he's like one of these selfish assist guys. This is he is one of the most unselfish and he just finds guy it's fun to watch has he changed for you whether Markel Fultz is number one at all or is is there a debate there for you who who's number one 
Um, so one, one quick note on the passing, like you, you hit the nail on the head there. Like he is so unselfish and like, that's kind of, you know, my thing with Ben Simmons, like he's a spectacular passer, but there were so many times in college where he would, he would have a clear outlet pass and he was instead like hunt out and assist by dribbling the ball up the court himself. And Lonzo ball is just unbelievable in every single category you can ever imagine as a passer. And, and yes, in that sense, he has closed the gap on, on faults because, I came in this year, honestly, not even loving ball. Like, you know, you watch him at lower levels and it's like, okay, there's a lot to like here. But at the same time, that jump shot is so ugly. It's like a sidewinding slingshot shot. I highly recommend typing in Lonzo ball highlights in YouTube and just watching his jump shots. Like, it's very weird looking. I, I highly recommend against that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, you might you might go to bed and have nightmares or something like that. But, you know, I think Fultz is still number one for me, Jay. I, I just see Fultz as just a better overall scorer. And, like, personally, like, if I'm building my team, I want my point guard to be really one of those guys who you can lean on as a scorer in end-of-game situations, more so than the facilitator like Ball. But with that said ball it's not like that ability's not there right i mean he's he's very good um at, at setback jump shots he needs to work out some kinks in his shot off um when it comes to pulling straight up in the, into his shot but the ability is there i just think fultz more dynamic as a scorer better body i think he'd, he'll be better absorbing contact at the rim and getting to the free throw line and because of his better body he has naturally more defensive potential than ball does the ball is very thin and lean so i think fultz definitely is still one for me but ball has really come up and closed the gap yeah it's funny because you talk to a lot of a lot of people who, who were like you before the season and ball was like like maybe lottery prospect like late later in the lottery and then it took it took like just a couple weeks for everyone to be like whoa this this kid it has has a gift and and he he works hard too. He he's he he's he's a hustler. I I like that about him. He lifts everybody up and and it, it, people say that about a lot of prospects, but his style like he just has an energy to him that that does I think lift up his team and 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 maybe it won't be that way at the NBA level. Obviously it's it's a different game, but Man, that dude can pass. <laughs> he has a knack for <laughs> some incredible plays. All right. At, at, Celtics, obviously, they're going to have a top four pick. Who who would be your number three right now for them? Oh. There, there's like a lot of guys that could be considered at that spot. Man, like, Jay, this year is so weird. It's like not even just the Celtics, but just in general. I have such a hard time with that third spot. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I feel like I changed. I mean, I'm at Josh Jackson from Kansas right now. But if you ask me in a week or two weeks, maybe that changes a little bit. I just think Jackson, uh, I mean, I, I don't even say that with full confidence. But with Jackson, I just see him as the guy where he's going to be a versatile defender. He's going to be able to defend one through three and one through four in small ball lineups because he's so aggressive, so quick laterally. He's strong and offensively, he's a good rebounder. Great in transition. He can he can go coast to coast. What was that noise? Did you hear that? That, that was that was nice. I like that. Was that, was that on your side or me? Sound effects. I, I, I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell if that was like in my left headphone or or, or in my house. We got sound effects on the Lockdown uh, Celtics podcast. 
We'll have to cut that. <laughs> it shook me. <laughs> um, so rattled right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not off my game. But yeah, so, okay, I'll like go back. <clears throat> so with Josh Jackson, I, I just see him as the guy who defensively he's going to be able to defend one through three and one through four and when, in terms of small ball lineups. But he does more than just defend. He's dynamic ball handler for forward. So he has the ability to create off the dribble, which is valuable in today's offenses that that have multi ball handler, multi playmakers on the teams. The thing is with him is the shot. He's like 50 to 60 percent from the free throw line. And his three point percentage is like nearing 40 percent at this point. But I don't think that's real. And it's a lot like Justice Winslow or Aaron Gordon a couple years ago where I just have my type when it comes to forwards. And that is these super athletic, you know, high intensity defensive forwards who have everything you look for except for the jump shot. And Josh Jackson has that similar mold. And as we've seen with guys like Gordon and Winslow and Michael Kidd Gilchrist down to the KJ McDaniels of the world is those guys need that jump shot. And if Jackson doesn't have that, then what is he really? I mean, he'll be a good player, but I don't know if he's a guy you'd want to take with the number three pick. And what you want there is a guy who becomes a super impactful player. And so that's where I struggle like philosophically with putting Jackson there, even though I lo- there's so much to like about him. Yeah, and, and when I saw Josh Jackson for the first time, and I actually I said this about Jalen Brown to my brothers after I saw him for the first time at Cal, Josh Jackson is a Celtics type of guy. Like... You see him once, and you're like, yeah, he's gritty, he's athletic, he can guard multiple positions, he can't shoot. <laughs> he is he is definitely a Celtics type of guy. And what's interesting is the Celtics believe that shooting is the most teachable aspect, the, the most improvable aspect for a prospect. But they don't have a shooting coach. They don't have a shooting coach, though, on the roster. I don't, I don't believe they have a shooting coach, though. Yeah, but but Jay Crowder has has improved. He's for, for yep. around forty percent now. Avery Bradley, he's around forty percent now. Isaiah Thomas has taken a, a step forward. Marcus Smart isn't quite as horrendous as he used to be. <laughs> um, so, so they do have some guys that have oh. improved quite a bit, and and they 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 do feel like like shooting is a skill that that you can work on and improve. And obviously, there are there are guys who never get better. And like you look at at Justice Winslow, and now he's in, you know his 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 year got cut short. But if if he never becomes a good shooter, he's still a great defender. He's still solid passer. He still does a lot of things. But it's just so limiting if you don't get there. And so so that's that's always something to think about. And then how good is Isaac? So I like Isaac. I just I just have a couple of questions about him. So I think he's most projectable as like the role player of the three forwards in that group. Jackson from Kansas, Jason Tatum from Duke, and Jonathan Isaac from Florida State. Of those three, I think Isaac is the most projectable as that versatile defender who's a good shooter on the offensive of the floor. So we're talking like a three and D forward type of player, right? Yep. I think he has that ability. However, at the same time, like I said, if you're drafting that high with a number three pick or even the number four pick, I think you want that guy who becomes your go-to. And Isaac 
could have that ability. It could be there. But at Florida State, he hasn't really shown that he's dynamic off the dribble. He attacks closeouts here and there, but primarily his role is like spot up shoot and just attack closeouts. I, I'd like to see him in a situation where he's like Tatum, where they he's the go to presence at the end of games, or Jackson, where they just rel- they lean on him in end of game situations. And Isaac hasn't really had that. Maybe that's because it's just coaching. Maybe they just want to lean on other guys on that roster, but maybe it's because it's not a strength of his at this stage of his career. So with Isaac, that's my kind of hang up with him. He has great ability, super long, lot, so much to like, but does he have the the go-to ability, which is really what you want at that stage of the drafts? See, that, that's what I've been wondering about him because like the, the stats love him. I, I think, think I read somewhere where he's like second to Lonzo Ball on, on ESPN's projections moving forward, and he's, he's 6'11 with super long arms, like – there's a lot to like about that kid. So yeah. I was wondering why there wasn't more talk about him potentially moving up. But but you answered that question. Uh, I'm, there, the other guy I like is, is Jason Tatum. What, is is he close to that three four range for you? And 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 what differentiates him from from the Josh Jacksons, the Isaacs? So the, the at the beginning of the season, I had Tatum at two, and I think I have him at maybe four right now behind Jackson. So I still have him ahead of Isaac. The thing with Tatum is like, so he clearly is the best of the three when it comes to creating off the dribble. He's a super smooth, good ball handler. He already has some advanced moves. Um, but the thing is, he's 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 not as good of an not as good as an athlete as either of them he's not as good defensively as either of them and he's probably not any better as a passer than isaac is and and jackson is clearly a better passer so what tatum has going for him is the ability to create offense without a screen he can be that go-to guy but the problem with him is that he needs to really really extend his shooting range right now he's mostly a mid-range level shooter he can shoot a little bit from three. He can shoot off the catch, especially from three. But he needs to extend that range out in order to become that real go-to scoring presence in the NBA. Like, like so DeMar DeRozan, for example, is an awesome player. Like, there's no denying that. But even he, I think, could still take his game just to an even higher level if he becomes a guy who could shoot threes. And Tatum needs to do that. Will he? Maybe. And that's why I'm still super high on him because maybe in the right situation, extending his range is something that'll happen just over the course of time. But if he doesn't, what is he? Because he doesn't do a lot else on the floor. And maybe that's like a maybe slightly better version of Rudy Gay. And I've never been a Rudy Gay guy. And that that's that's where I've just got some issues with Tatum, too. So all those forwards are so appealing, but they all have certain flaws that that hold me back from falling in love with them as I have with Fultz and with Lonzo Ball. How how much of a drop off is there after number two? So I think I think we'll look back at this draft ten years from now and say there was no drop off and maybe one of those forwards ends ends up as the best player anyway. But like from an evaluation standpoint, there kind of is a drop off for me. I I just think Fultz. I think Fultz is clearly the one. Ball has closed the gap on him. But after that, I just have so many questions about all these guys. Like every single one of them. They could become stars. They have immense upside, but they all have at least one major wart that sticks out. And you're like, man, if only he didn't have that, he would be really a sure thing. All right. All right. All right. 
<laughs> that so much, so much relies on the ping pong balls, man. So much. Markel Fultz, twenty five percent shot at him. You know. Yeah, it's uh, like forty eight percent chance. I think they get a top two, something like that. Forty six point five. So, oh, so statistically, they're more likely to be third or fourth. But Oof. people freak out if they if they get yeah. third or fourth, and they'll, they'll still get a really good player. They'll still be a fifty plus win team, adding a top three or four pick. But people, Boston will freak out if they don't get a top two pick. It, it will not be pretty. Uh, okay, so David Griffin today went on Zach Lowe's podcast. He, I think, the conversation probably happened over the weekend at at the Sloan conference, but. So Zach Lowe asked him about a report that the Cavaliers were on pins and needles about the Celtics maybe getting Jimmy Butler. And he he said, well, it wasn't just Butler. (laughs) For a moment, I thought they were getting Paul George and Jimmy Butler. So that, that, whoa, both of them, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And obviously the Celtics would have had to trade, they would have had to unload the chest. Like they would have had to trade both Brooklyn picks. They would have had to trade probably two or three pieces of their rotation at least. They would have had to maybe dig into like Ante Zizic, Gershon Yabusele. They would have had to throw a lot, but whoa, 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 whoa. Do you think that's what they're dreaming about, man? (laughs) Yeah, I do think they're dreaming big. They're definitely dreaming very, very, very big. And I mean, that's something you and I talked briefly about before the trade deadline, Jane. We're like, is this crazy? Is this like just a crazy scenario? And and it is. It's totally crazy. But David Griffin knows that Danny Ainge is a big, big thinker, right? And with that in mind, he also knows that they had the assets to theoretically acquire both, right? They theoretically could have given one Nets pick to the Bulls and one Nets pick to the Pacers and then given whatever else it would have taken to make it work, right? Theoretically, they could have. So you can understand why David Griffin had that concern. The the thing that really surprises me is that he just came flat out and said that. I mean, that wasn't a thought that many people had. And like, if you did say that, like, if you were on the Celtics Reddit or you were on Celtics blog or Celtics Hub, any website, mass live comments, and you said Celtics are going to go for both Jimmy Butler and Paul George, people would have said, you're stupid, you're biased, you're a homer, right? But David I, I Griffin, actually, the GM, said it. Yeah, I actually wrote about the possibility. Like, like obviously, it, it's a crazy possibility. It's a slim possibility. <laughs> when you're talking about landing one star, it's tough. When you talk about landing two, now you're like, it's dream world. But I, I wrote about the possibility and like what it might take, and honestly, like it's not completely impossible to for them to dream about it. And people were just like, "Okay, you're on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> it's t- it's time to go to sleep, Jen. Where can I get some?" They're saying <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, but but here here's David Griffin thinking it might have been a real possibility. And what's interesting to me is if you get one of those guys, then you have to give up Jay Crowder and Marcus Smart or something and a pick then there's a chance like you get stuck in purgatory where now you're still not better than the Cavs and you've given up the pick that you had that could have become a, a superstar. So, but if you get both of them, that, that that's a different story. And now, now you're competitive with the Cavs for sure. You're at least dreaming about taking down the Warriors when they're at full strength. So... Yeah, maybe maybe they're not willing to give up some of those pieces for one of them. Maybe they'd be more willing to 
part ways with all those pieces if they could get two. And now, you know, there will be different possibilities this summer. Obviously, they'll chase Gordon Hayward with cap space, see what happens there, maybe revisit Butler-George talks. Maybe they'll just keep the number one or number four pick or whatever pick it is and add a top prospect to a team that won 50 games. There's there's a lot that could happen. But the, that that dream, man, that dream is crazy. That dream. I mean, it's all about, like, this is the phrase I'm always going to use until the Celtics do something is, it's all about order of operations. Because if they had made the move, let's say they traded Jay Crowder and the, and the Nets pick and Avery Bradley and whatever else for Paul George. Let's just say they did that at the deadline. It would have looked great. Celtics would have probably been a little bit better this year, but they still wouldn't have been close enough. And because they hate, they made the trade before the summer, they would have lost the ability to make a move using their cap space because there would be no cap space anymore. But since they waited, they're going to ha- have the ability to create maximum cap space so they can try to make a run at a guy like Gordon Hayward. And then if you do sign Hayward, guess what? You got one star. And then guess what? You still have your assets and you might be more willing to give up the Jay Crowders of the world, the Avery Bradleys of the world in order to get that other star. So it's really about the order of operations here. If they sign Hayward and or the other guys that they might be targeting in free agency, and there's honestly not a lot, then they could be more willing to give more to get Jimmy Butler or Paul George. So I think, you know, taking in what David Griffin said, he's aware that the Celtics are thinking really, really big. And general managers know that Danny Ainge is going for something big. And that's what they're planning for. And I think that's ultimately what why they waited and passed on any short-term deals because it's all about winning a title. It's not about putting themselves in the Eastern Conference Finals. It's about winning a title. And they need two guys, not one guy, to get to that next level. It's It's crazy to cover the Celtics. Because everything's a possibility. <laughs> Every it's so crazy is a possibility. Like, like, ooh, Markel Fultz is awesome. Well, the Celtics might get him. <laughs> Paul, George, Paul George and Jimmy Butler might be available. Well, the Celtics uh, are the obvious team to potentially acquire them. It's like every every possibility is out there every possibility is somewhat realistic everybody should go read kevin's story on gordon hayward who has become a true star gordon hayward is a stud gordon hayward is a high volume high efficiency absolute star and maybe maybe you know that's another possibility so it's it's crazy to cover the celtics thank you very much for coming on the podcast kevin always appreciate talking to you always appreciate learning from you and always appreciate when i I disagree with you about jalen brown and jay crowder and the potential difference between them right now so thank you very much for coming on my man thank you so much for having me jay looking forward to the next time indeed indeed all right for all you listeners out there we obviously ignored the Celtics Clippers game today it was too late I will be doing work after the game Sam Packard is on spring break from the University of Pennsylvania where he is an Ivy Leaguer believe it or not and and Corrales he's an old man he just falls to bed so so that's why we ignored that we got Kevin instead which is a lot better than any talk about the Celtics Clippers game Thank you for listening, everybody. Subscribe to the Locked On Celtics podcast. Give us a five-star rating. Everybody go follow Kevin O'Connor. What is it, at Kevin O'Connor NBA? Yes, sir. There you go. Go follow him on Twitter. And, yeah, maybe the Celtics will avoid a disastrous road trip after that kick in the balls against the Phoenix. So, take care, guys.
John Corrales. Locked on Celtics. Millie. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feet every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.